Praise the Lord. Well, this is week number three and the final week of what we've been talking about on Sundays, which is, yeah, there it is again. Always surprises me. Every, I know it's coming, but then I look back and ah, there he is. Our friend John D- Divini uh, did this graphic up for us, and he's a very talented guy, and, and uh, he did it just for this little series. How nice is that? Uh, if you've ever felt like that fellow there, for those listening, there's a fellow with uh, clothespins holding a smile open. The implication is he's in great pain, <laughs> not wanting to smile, but forcing himself to smile. If you've ever felt like that, we talked about a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the truth of the matter. If you feel like you're just pretending to be happy, pretending to love, pretending to like people, pretending to, you know, feel like everything's going well. You can be free from pretending. Two weeks ago, we read from the scripture where it says, love from a sincere heart. It talks about love each other fervently from the heart, that there is a sincere love that God has given to you that's able to be poured out in your heart so you no longer feel like you have to fake it. There is a sincere joy that comes from His presence, a sincere joy that comes from that well of life within you so you no longer have to go around acting like you're okay. You no longer have to go around acting like you're happy to see people or they're happy to be alive, that these things would be real in you. These are the fruits of the Spirit. They should never be faked. And if you've ever felt the pressure to be somebody you couldn't be or you weren't, That didn't come from God. That came from uh, a pressure of society, the pressure of fear. Often fear tells you, what what if they knew how I was really doing? What if they knew what I was really like? What if I, uh, what if I, if they really could see what was behind my smile? We want to be free from fear. I want you to be free to live. As we sang earlier, free to love, free to give, free to live. That that you feel that and, and you know in your heart that God has created you to be something more than a good actor. In fact, He didn't create you to be an actor. He created you to really live. Do you ever feel that Jesus faked it? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that He was anointed with joy. In fact, it says the anointed with the oil of gladness above His brethren. What He had was real. What He had was not fake. And sometimes in imitating Him, When the Bible says imitate him and follow after his footsteps, it doesn't mean put on your best impersonation of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you do an impression of Jesus. It means that you actually are able through his spirit, through his power to walk in his footsteps and do what he did with the same fire, the same love, and the same power. Last week we talked about how how do we talk to each other. You know, I mean... I know that I'm supposed to say what God says. I know I'm supposed to speak in faith. But what if I'm in the middle of a battle and it doesn't feel like I'm getting anywhere? Well, the Scripture tells us that you very clearly, you need to, you need to get some reinforcements. You need to get some friends in on this. That's, you should never be ashamed that you're in the middle of a battle. You've been created to win that battle. And I do believe if you were by yourself and there was no one around you, that power of Jesus inside you is more than enough to overcome anything. But I also believe that we've been created as a body to join together, to be together, to fight together, to love together, that we have been put in the same group. And sometimes you need that other part just to say, come join with me. Let's let's tackle this together. So the last thing we were going to talk about here is is really the root of everything else, which is we've talked about feeling like you had to fake it and act around people. And hopefully that's resolved now. You don't feel like that anymore. You don't feel like you have to be a certain person at church and a certain person everywhere else, huh? But here's the thing. We're going to talk today about your relationship with God. But how do you talk to Him? And really, scripturally, what am I allowed to say to God? (laughs) I mean, we know how to pray in faith, don't we? You know, if I were... Lying in the hospital, I can't think of a better group of people to come and visit me than you guys. You know how to pray. You know what the Word says. You know how to ask and receive according to His Word. You know how to pray according to His will because where do we find His will? In His Word, right? The Bible says if we pray according to His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, we have what we've asked for. Right? He says when we pray, we're supposed to believe we received it. The moment we prayed. So that's when we begin to thank God. 
we know about how to ask and receive. But you know there's more to your relationship with God than just ordering things. He's not Amazon. He's not the drive through guy at Starbucks. He is your Lord. He is your master. You have the Holy Spirit, which is your counselor, your comforter. He's your father. He's a prince of peace. All of these things, you've got to know that he's more than just a prayer answerer. Sometimes your prayer time needs, I mean, sometimes, all the time, your prayer time needs to be more than just you bringing requests to God. That should be a big part of it. Every, every book in the New Testament refers to that kind of prayer, to, to going to him and, and asking. That's a huge part of Christian life. It's all through the Bible. In fact, most of the stuff we have on prayer is referring to bringing requests to God. So don't ever think that that's not important. That is huge, right? I mean, you see it all through the Scripture where, if you, you know, for instance, the Apostle Paul, if he wasn't praying for himself, he was praying for the churches and asking that they be filled with love, that they abound in joy, all of these things. But you know that prayer is more than just saying, this is what I need, can you fill the order? Even if you pray by the Word and you say, I know it's your will, that's good. But there's got to be a point where you allow your heart to be searched by God. And you allow Him to do something in your heart. Because as we said before, if you feel like you're having to be something one, one day and another thing another day, if you're having to live two lives, you're having to put on two faces. It's a shame that some people do that with God. You know, so especially those of us that know the Word, sometimes we get so um, an expectation of how we're supposed to pray that we're, we're ashamed to go to God when we don't know something. or We're ashamed to go to God when, when we really aren't feeling it. You know, I mean, it's like we know these certain prayers, and you might have prayers that avail much on your counter, and, and you're like, well, there's not a prayer for what I'm going through right now. And I mean, i got to find a scripture on this. And you know, sometimes you've just got to commune with the Father. You've got to spend time and let Jesus do what Jesus does. I've said before, you can't go for the rest of your life. You can't go for another week, another month. Just going through the motions of things. Faking it with people, faking it with God. It's a shame, but a lot of believers go to God. And they know the right things to pray. And they're not praying out of their spirit. They're not praying. They're praying what they know. And that sometimes is good to pray what you know. But there's got to be more than that. It is, it's, it's a mistake for you to make little compartments. In your heart. Where this is what I feel like I'm going through. But when I go to God. I won't bring that up. I won't mention it. That's our little secret. I'm going to just have to talk to him about. Alright. I'm going to pray about the stuff I know to pray. I'm supposed to pray for the Allens. Okay. I'll pray for the Allens. I'm supposed to pray for the church. Okay. I pray for the church. And I, 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 I pray in faith. I use all the scriptures. I pray in a forceful tone. Praise you Jesus. But there's a part of my heart where I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with stuff that hasn't been resolved. There are some doubts. There are some fears. And you know, you don't need to bring those to everybody you know. The one person you need to bring it to above everybody else is Him. He's the one that can do what needs to be done. He is the great surgeon who can operate on your heart. If you're feeling like you're living dual lives... You need to get it right with Him and let Him do what He does. You need to let Him operate on you. you. need to let Him, as the Scripture says in Psalms, search my heart. It's, it's, it's a vulnerable thing. It's um, a courageous thing to fully open up your heart before God and know that He already sees it. You know, he already saw it. He doesn't see it because you let Him see it, Right? Did you know that God knows and He sees every part of you? Every single part of you? You don't have to say it. He sees it. But what I'm talking about, you're not telling Him something He doesn't know. He already knows it. What I'm talking about is giving Him permission to do something about it. Giving Him permission to work in that area of your heart instead of guarding it off like it's a secret closet that you don't let anybody in. Because He is our great high priest. 
Thank God he's our great high priest. We'll read a couple things in Hebrews here. Let's go to Hebrews. We're going to go to chapter... We're eventually going to go to chapter... Hmm. (laughs) Let's figure out where to go first. Hebrews 4. Thank you, Jesus. This should be familiar with you. Familiar to you. Hebrews 4.12 says this. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is able to pierce past all of the outside masks, past all of the separations, past all of the categories we've made. It's able to pierce directly between the spirit and the soul and get to the root of the matter. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Have you ever been at a prayer meeting? It was a church prayer meeting and you picked up the mic and you prayed what you knew to pray, but you didn't feel it. You didn't, not, I shouldn't say feel it because we don't go by feelings, but there was, it was coming out of your brain because you knew the right things, but there wasn't any life in it. There wasn't, it wasn't coming out of that well of life. In fact, there are times because we've lived and we've had stuff happen, it's easy to let your heart be hard in certain areas unless you, unless you guard your heart. In fact, Hebrews, Hebrews uh, 4 and that we're reading right now, and it goes into uh, 5 and 6, begins to talk about the, the peril of hardening your heart. The problem with hardening your heart. The best way to keep your heart soft and open is to let it be an open book before God. When you start to have these things, these doubts, these fears, these pains, all these other things, the, the, the one you've got to take it to is, is Jesus. You've got to take it directly to Him. He's the only one that can do something about it. He's the only one that can really operate on you the way you need to be operated on. Don't ever think that there are certain things you're allowed to say and certain things you're not. They don't ever think that you've got to be some special person to go to God, that you've got to put on a good show for Him or else you won't get your prayer answered. The Scripture is very clear about that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, and before we read Hebrews, can we just read Matthew 6 for a moment? Just hold your place in Hebrews 4. Thank God. In Matthew chapter 6. Man, there's something in this chapter for everything, isn't there? There's something in this chapter for worrying. There's something in this chapter for, for uh, knowing about, about your financial needs, or stuff about here, about uh, praying, about fasting, about giving. All these things are in there. But he says this. In verse 5, he says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Now, what do we say hypocrites means? There's a, fault, there's a false finish on it. Hypocrite, in, in, in this period of Greek, would, would mean to talk about somebody's acting, putting on a show. You're not to be like those that are acting one way, but really another. Don't be like the hypocrites. He says, when you pray. This is something between you and God. He says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Their point to praying is that everybody thinks they're a good prayer. That's their point in praying. They don't, I mean, they're really not that interested in what God thinks. Their big reward is that everybody sees how holy they are. He says, that shouldn't be you. That doesn't mean you're not allowed to pray in public. That means that if that's your goal, if that's your point, is you're loving to be praying in public because you like people to see how, what a good prayer you are, he says, you, you're missing it. You've got to get back on the right point. He says this in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Now, what would meaningless repetition mean? 
Well, it could be saying the same thing over and over again in the prayer, even though you really don't mean it. It also could mean praying the same prayer without ever meaning what you're praying. You need to analyze when you, when you pray over your food before you eat, whether you mean what you're saying. I know people that pray so fast over their food because they've prayed that prayer. They've memorized it. It's not real to them. It is like, it's like muscle memory by now. It, is just, it just comes out of their mouth. There's, you know, when you were a little kid and L-M-N-O-P was all one letter when you're doing the alphabet, I, I was shocked to find out they were separate. I thought L-M-N-O-P was the most complex letter in the English alphabet because I learned the song. In first grade, we st- I stood before Mrs. Simpson. We all had to, first grade, we had to all recite the, recite the alphabet. I went up there. I sang it to her like a good boy. I sat down, and my friend who went after me said it. I didn't know you could do that. He went A, B, C, and I was like, wait a second. You can just say it? You don't have to sing it? I mean, you could just say the letters? They come separately like that? I didn't. I had no idea. I'm singing the Twinkle Twinkle Little Star tune. Mark just got up there and just said it to her. I felt like an idiot. I felt like a little kid. I was a little kid. But you know how you do that L-M-N-O-P and it's all one letter? I've known quite a few friends that in Jesus' name, amen, is pretty much like in Jesus' name, amen. It's like in your name, we pray, amen. It's all become one blob letter, and we're not really thinking about what we're saying. Do you know how powerful it is to say in Jesus' name? How, how awesome that is? That is not something to be shrugged, just tagged on the end like a sticker you put, a stamp you put on it. When you're praying in the name of Jesus, that's powerful. So when we pray over our food, are you thinking about what you're praying? Are you just praying something because you prayed it since you were a little kid? Because those kind of prayers don't really have much power. There's no faith there. There's no, there's no expectation there. There's no belief there. That's just a memorized thing. He said that's meaningless repetition. It's repeating something that doesn't mean anything to you anymore. This is a wonderful thing, and I'm not telling you this to condemn you or to, to beat you down. I'm telling you this to set you free. Did you know you don't have to pray the same prayer every time? You can just be led by the Spirit. If He tells you to pray three words, if He tells you to pray 50, do that. Oh, what a powerful life. I I mean, this is a thing. Let's get out of just doing things out of routine and let's get back to the the real power of God which is coming out of the innermost being of you. You've got the Holy Spirit. You don't ever have to do anything because of ritual anymore. Let's do it out of, the, out of the innermost of ourselves. Let's do it out of, our, out of the core of our being. Let's get over the meaningless stuff and get back to the real thing. See, what we're looking for, what we're looking for is not just to stop being fake. What we're looking for is to be, to, not just to be, you know, like, well, I'm not faking it, but <laughs> here's the real me. It's ugly. It's dirty. What we're looking for is allowing God to change what he needs to change so that you're not just having to act like you have joy. You're not just having to act like you've got faith. You're not just having to act like you love people, that it's really there. And you've got to start that with God. That's the first place it's got to start. I mean, honestly, you've got to be honest with him. And he says, don't use the meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do you know a long prayer doesn't necessarily mean a more powerful prayer? It could be short. Do you know, Jesus? I I find our prayers are much longer than Jesus' prayers. For real. Especially when we pray for people. When we pray for healing for people, you never see that in the Scripture. You don't see people praying a, you know, 30-second prayer for somebody. Just tell them to be healed in Jesus' name. Now, there's a time to go to the Lord. There's a time to say, here's my petition. This is what we're going we're gonna to do as Philippians says. We're going to bring our petitions, our prayers, and requests before you. We're going to bring it with thanksgiving. And you're going to guard our hearts and minds. The peace of God's going to overtake us. We understand that. But sometimes, let's be honest. Because you know what? If I'm praying for Jared, if I'm laying my hands on him so that he be healed, if the Lord says pray for a while, I will pray for a while. But are you okay if God says just say one word to him and shutting up? 
You know why we're afraid of that? Because it really is putting everything on him. There is no, there, it's just, it's risk. It feels like risk to us because we feel like there needs to be substance to it. It needs to, it needs to, it'll, I mean, we need to act like we care about Jared. He's not going to think I care if I just go healed. He's going to just think I passed him by. But what if that's what Jesus told me to say to him? We fill all this gap so that Jared feels like he's being prayed for. We fill all these gaps so that we feel like we're spending more time so it's more powerful, like we're ramping up the accelerator when reality is God doesn't need all of that. He needs you to say what he told you to say. And he tells you to pray for 30 minutes. You pray for 30 minutes over Jared. But if he says one word, you say that one word. I've always said this. I said it. I, my wife and I say this to each other all the time. If God says four words, don't use five. I mean, just because we add to it thinking, you know, have you ever had a prophecy? Have you ever had God put a word on you and you're supposed to tell somebody, but you waited a while? I find if the Lord tells me to tell something to somebody, I need to write it down right then and not deviate from it. Because what will happen is if I try to remember it, I will add to it. I will try to make it sound easier. I will add my little, oh, they probably won't understand what that means. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have to, I'll put something in here to explain. I'll put an extra scripture here. If he didn't tell you to say that, you shouldn't say that. So what I've started doing is just writing it down and forcing myself to, to say exactly what I wrote down. and Not try to explain it because God knows what he's talking about. Well, those are big, that's a big step, isn't it? But it's a step of faith to know that Jesus, if Jesus is our example, our master, and he says, I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. I don't do anything unless I see him do it. This is the way we are to live. There's power in his word. There's power in his name. So that meaningless repetition or using more words to, to think you've got more power, that's not of God. Now, there is a time. I mean, there are there, there are plenty of prayers in the new testament that are longer than 10 15 seconds there's there's some long prayers in there so there's a definite time for that what i'm talking about is making it real so it's not just a meaningless thing that you you've always prayed so you just you don't think about it anymore really really let it coming back to that place where you just pray from the spirit you pray from the word but you pray out of your heart and you really believe what you're praying we have to do this all the time. This is what I'm talking about because really what we're talking about today is all about your heart. I love you. Jesus loves you. And he cares about you. The Bible says guard your heart. Guard it for out of it flows the wellsprings of life. This is about your heart. Because you know if you're playing a play, if you're acting out a show, your heart is being hardened and cold. What God wants is for that heart to be alive, to be healed, to be whole, to be, to be open to God. And this is about your heart. And I believe that God wants to do heart operation on some of us today. That there's a real work in your heart so you feel like I am alive again. Because I know, we've said this before, but so many of us separate life into work and play. Right? These are the things I have to do. These are the things I get to do. I have to go to work for eight hours, nine hours, ten hours. But I get to do this after I get off work. And we separate things we have to do, things we want to do. And, you know, when we first started coming to church, it was something we wanted to do. Nobody made us do it. Well, me. Yeah. I didn't really have a choice. But you did. Some of you did. <laughs> But you know, those of you that have been born again as, as adults, as teenagers, when you first started coming to, ch to church, getting born again, you came because you wanted to. Nobody made you. This is something you wanted to do. But then you get to that point. Maybe you didn't, but hopefully you did. But some, some of us get to this point where you've been doing it long enough that you know there's expectations on you. You know what will happen if you don't. And you get up in the morning and you really don't want to do this, but you do it because you feel like you have to. Well, God doesn't want you to just say, you need to just be yourself. You need to just stay in bed. But God wants you to say, I want to go. I want to be a part of this body. I want to do, I want to I serve the Lord today. It is not work to me, it's life. And Jesus, there was no separation between work and play. It was just life. 
He just lived. If you're going to work at Arby's, you do it as unto the Lord and say, Arby's is my mission field today. I'm not going to Africa. I'm going to Arby's. You judge which one's more dangerous. But I'm going in. Just kidding. Just kidding. Joke only, joke only, joke only. But you're going into Arby's. You're working the grill. And you're doing as it unto the Lord. You're saying, this is my mission field. This is my ministry here. These people need Jesus. And I'm not finished until they all know him. Boy, it becomes life again to you. You live from the heart. You live from... That spirit inside of you, he says, they won't be heard for the many words. Verse 8. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. He goes on and talks about fasting. And we won't talk about that today. Although I think fasting is a wonderful thing. But here, in this prayer, there's something valuable. He starts out, with acknowledging the holiness of God. Acknowledging, just as you would to your Lord, he says, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Your name is sacred. I, I revere it. I'm, I'm being reverent to your name. Then he goes on and he says, and this is such a huge thing in prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's get that out of the way right away. This prayer is not about me getting my way and talking you into doing something. This is about your will being done. This is about your kingdom coming. And guess what? If we're going to pray it for our city, if we're going to pray it for our province, if we're going to pray it for our nation, we need to start praying it for us. Your kingdom come in me. Your will be done in me. Let my will match your will. I find that this is one of the greatest things out of my times of prayer is that not that I talk God into doing my will, not that I talk Him into doing the right thing, but that my will starts to change and conform to His will. And you just stay there until you got it sorted out. Don't leave until you know you're in agreement with God. God doesn't need to get on your side. You need to get on His side. And you let him, I mean, you let him show you and reveal to you and put that desire in you. Because the scripture says it's God at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you feel like you're doing the right thing, but you don't want to do the right thing, he's at, he should be at work in you to will. That means that your will, you want to do it, you have, you, your will is aligned with his to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's, it's God's desire for you is not that you go through life feeling like, like, well, this is what I have to do and maybe there'll be a great reward for me in heaven. His desire for you is that your will lines up with His will. That you say, I desire what you desire. And if you're not there yet, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be condemned. But go into His presence and let Him affect your heart. Here's the great thing, guys. Oh, if you could only know, I mean, I mean, how many of you, maybe don't raise your hand, but how many of you, when you first got turned on to Jesus, you told him, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And then in the back of your mind, as soon as you said that, you're like, oh, God, I hope he doesn't send me to China. Fort McMurray. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I have to say that. I'm supposed to say that, but I wish I hadn't said that. God, don't abuse the privilege. Don't you believe if he's going to send you somewhere, he can put the desire in you to go. Don't you believe he's going to send you there? He can, if, you're let, if you let your will be conformed to his, you'll want to go there. In fact, you'll say, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I'm going. I don't care who tries to stop me. I'm going. And you can't stop me from going. I have to go. See, he wants to put that in you. 
so that you're not just saying, oh, that's what I have to do. I told him I'd do anything, so I guess I'm going to do it. He wants to put the will in you to do it. He says, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he lays it out and he says, hey, here's what I need. He prays about what he needs. I need daily bread. I need to be fed. I need not only to be fed physically, I need, I need to be fed spiritually. I need your word. Give, give me what I need. Lord, I know you're my father. Give me what I need. This chapter goes on and talks about how he takes care of birds. He takes care of flowers. Of course he'll take care of you. It's not wrong. It's not arrogant for you to say to God, take care of me. We feel bad saying that, don't we? God, take care of me. Oh, the Lord helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible. Right? Neither is a penny saved as a penny earned. Neither is cleanliness is next to godliness. And all those other nice things that Benjamin Franklin said, they're not in the book of Proverbs. The Lord helps those who put their trust in Him. The Lord helps those who call on His name. He's not looking for a bunch of people who take care of Himself. He's looking for a bunch of people that will believe in Him. You know, when you believe in Him, you do have the appearance of someone who's taking care of themselves. But you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it through him. He says, I need daily bread. I need to know that um, my debts are forgiven as I forgive those who hold the debt again, uh, that I hold the debt. And that's important because we go through life collecting debts. When someone does something to us that hurts us, somebody says something, Maybe it's an actual financial debt. In this case, it's not talking about money as much as it's talking about all those other things that you feel people owe you, you feel people did to you that, that, that needs justice, that needs vengeance of some sort. And the Scripture teaches us that just as we've been forgiven to forgive freely, to let it go, to not hold any debts. I've said it before, but for those of you that know accounting, Jesus, when he died and rose again on your behalf and you accepted him, he took your accounts payable. You don't owe anything anymore. Thank God, when he took your accounts payable, he also took your accounts receivable. So you don't have the right to hold debts, hold somebody else, say, you owe me something. You owe me something. I can't forgive you because you did this. I can't forgive you because you did that. If he forgave us of so many things, we forgive freely. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. You should be familiar with this, but it does us good to read it again. As we've said, he's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Let's go on to verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, does that scare you or does that make you happy? <laughs> you don't have to say it out loud. But you've got to realize there's no secrets in your life. There's nothing secret to him. He sees it all. So it's really, it's really funny when we act like Adam and Eve in the garden and play hide and seek with God. And say, oh, you know, he can't find us. We're in the bushes. He can't see through the bushes, you know? I mean, come on. He's way up there. It's real silly when you try to put on a face with God in prayer and act like something's going on that's not going on or act like something's not going on that is. And then say, you know, well, <laughs> this is just who I need to be when I pray. He sees everything. Isn't it wonderful? I've said this before, too. I'm saying that a lot today. Maybe this is just the greatest hits collection. But... I've said this before. Jared, I thank you for your shoulders. I use your shoulders a lot. <laughs> when I got married, I discovered something wonderful. When you get married, you discover the joy of having somebody fully know you and yet fully love you. You discover the joy of somebody seeing you when your hair is all messed up in the morning, before you take a shower, before, you, before your breath smells good, they see you when you're absolutely tired. They see you when you're absolutely hungry. They see you all these places, and they still love you. 
it is liberating. Because when you're going through the courtship process, you're trying your best to look your best and smell your best and talk your best and buy the expensive meals and, and do all of this stuff. I mean, really, we put on our best of our best of our best when we're trying to win somebody over. Imagine the shock when the honeymoon's over. <laughs> we go from our best of our best to our most real. And yet this person still loves you. And they, they love you. They like you. You know, this is a wonderful thing. Well, you know what? God knows everything. He sees everything. And yet he loves you. He has already accepted you. So there's nothing in your heart that's hidden from him. So bringing it up to him is not going to get you thrown out of the room. He already sees it. If you're dealing with unforgiveness and you go into prayer and you're like, I shouldn't bring that up because that's not really a good Christian thing. Bring it up. As long as you bring it up saying your will be done. You don't bring it up going, God. I want you to back me on this. Do you still do the fire thing? Okay, maybe just a fever. He doesn't do that stuff. You can't go to him and try to manipulate. If you're going to talk, I used to have a, there was a pastor friend that said this to me. He said, when I, when I get, you know, I get into these meetings and people talk to me, he said, I, I, I make it very clear. You can say whatever you want to say to me. Here's the, ex, here's the only rule. You have to listen to what I'm going to say back. That's the part we don't like. I heard somebody else say this. In prayer, like in conversation, the one who knows the most should talk the most. Right? This is smart. If you're young, learn this now. When you're in a conversation with someone smarter than you, do more listening than talking. Now, when we get in the conversation with God, we should do more listening than talking. But I want us to know that you can feel open with God. You bring it before Him. If you've ever read the Psalms, you know that it's okay for you to say and sometimes shake your fist and go, this doesn't make sense. When you see the end of the Psalm, you see that it doesn't stay like this. It resolves to a place of hope and praise and faith and trust in God that if He starts out saying, I don't know what's going to happen, everybody turned against me, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, by the end of it, He's saying, my soul will rejoice in the Lord. He is my rock. He will exalt my head above my enemies. I'll see what you want me to see. In fact, David says in Psalm 73, actually not David, it's Asaph, I'm sorry. Says in Psalm 73, he says, oh, I, I wondered why the wicked were doing so well. I was wondering why these people were prospering. I didn't think it was fair. I was mad until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I perceived their end. Surely you have set them on a slippery place. You see, he was angry. He was upset. And you know what he could have done? He could have left that anger and upset and just say, I'm not allowed to say that to God. So I'm going to leave that over here. I'll still feel it. But when I'm in prayer, I won't bring it up. But you know what he did? He brought it to God. He said, why is this like this? Hey, what's going on here? Why? This doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And then God says, all right, you done? You ready to listen? Here's why. He said, I perceived, I finally saw what he saw. You see, I, I take great comfort from that because what happened in that conversation is that man completely laid everything out before God and then God rearranged his heart. We need to do this more often. Where we let him search our heart we let him do what needs to be done. And we walk out of there with a whole healed heart. If you keep going to God and you keep stuffing all, this, all these weird emotions that you don't, they, they keep cropping up, but you never bring them up to God. You're strengthening the, the, the locks on that door. You need to unlock that door, lay it out, and then say, your will be done. And let him rearrange and change and remove and plant and do what he needs to do in your heart so that you walk out and you've had your surgery. You walk out and you're ready to love. and you, You're resolved in this. You're not frustrated anymore. Too many of us feel like it's not 
It's not a right prayer to go to God and say, this is how I'm feeling. It is if you're willing to let him change it. And then it's good. Lay it out before him. Be honest with God. Be open with God. He already knows it. But when you, you're honest with him, what you're doing is you're saying, all right, you have permission to come and work on this part. You have permission to do something about it. You have permission to change my opinion. Keith Moore once said, and I thought it was a very wise thing that he said, he said, in this life, we have to know what to yield to and what to resist. There are certain emotions in your life you must resist. They're not from God. You don't yield to them. You don't yield to depression. You don't yield to suicide. You don't yield to sickness. You don't yield to hopelessness. You resist it. You don't yield to fear. You resist it. You yield to joy. You yield to peace. But if those emotions keep cropping up in your life, you need to be able to go to God and say, here it is. I'm not sure why it's there, but here it is. Search me. You know me. What do I need to do here? What do you need to do? Because if you can't be honest with God, who can you be honest with? He's the only one that can really do something about it. He says he knows everything. We're laid bare and open in front of him. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You need to hear that and you need to believe that. If you just glossed over that because you've heard it a million times, you need to hear it again like it's the first time. You don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with your what? With your weakness. He knows where you're weak. Where you're weak, he's strong. If you're so stuck up in prayer that you can't acknowledge that you're weak in an area, then you're not going to get the help you need. He wants to be strong in that area for you. But if you act like you're strong, you don't get help. If you you never acknowledge that you're hungry, you never go to the table to get food. If you don't acknowledge you need surgery, you never go get it. You know, I've I've known people that were not born again that had no, faith, no, no, no knowledge that God could heal them of a disease. So we're talking about unbelievers here. They had no hope to be healed of that disease, and yet they refused to go to the doctor because they knew what the doctor would say. And to them, as soon as they went to the doctor, you know, the doctor, if they caught it early, could do something about it. But they thought, if I go to the doctor, it's real now. But you know, it doesn't go away just by ignoring it. Nothing goes away by ignoring it. You think you ignore all these things, they'll just go away? Go to the healer. Go to Jesus as the woman with the issue of blood did and say, if I touch him, I will be made whole. That's not just for physical things. That's for your heart. You go to him and you say, this is what I need. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Does this sound like somebody who had it all together before they went in? Does this sound like somebody who's got their life fully together? No. This is somebody who's got issues. But they brought their issues to the one who could fix it. I've told you this before. Let me, let me read it to you again. When he says, in Hebrews chapter 4, and he talks about this confidence, he talks with this, about this boldness. Let me read you a definition of the word boldly because I've said this to you before. I always thought that boldly was how you walked in, was how you carried yourself, that you weren't afraid to go in. Right? That's what boldly sounds like. But this word boldly, comes from two words put together. One means to speak. And one means to, the other one means to speak freely, to speak free, to be free to speak. So boldly has less to do with your 
the way you walk in, and more to do with what you say when you get there. Let me read this to you. This is from Spiros Zothiadi's word studies. He says this. This word is, it comes from the word for all and the act of speaking. So say all, say everything, in other words. You feel free to say everything. He says this, it means freedom or frankness in speaking. Freedom in speaking all that one thinks or pleases. Confidence or boldness, particularly in speaking. Plainness or exactness of speech. So he's not talking about just walking in with your chin up. Let us draw near and speak freely. And speak plainly. Now, how many kings can you do that with? How many kings can you just waltz into the throne room and say whatever you want to say? But with him, Jesus has made a way so that you can go in and ask for what you need. You could go in and say, Lord, this is, this is what's going on. And he says, when you do, when you let him know what you need, you have mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Later on in chapter 5, he says this. We'll go ahead and, and skip a few ahead here. Did I say chapter 5? I meant chapter, yeah, I meant chapter 5. I meant what I said. (laughs) Hebrews 5, verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh, he's talking about Jesus, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his piety. I think the new NIV says it nicely. It says he was heard because of his reverent submission. You see, it sounds like Jesus is coming. Jesus comes with tears. How many times do you see Jesus cry? You see it a couple times over people, but this is the only time you see him say it. He comes to God with tears. We, of course, know that this is talking about in the garden when he was in great anguish. He was taking your sin upon himself. He was, he was, ta- he was about to drink of the cup of the wrath of God that was destined for us. But it says he, he says in, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety, or as I said in, in one translation, his reverent submission. He said, all right. He was heard because he said, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. It says in Luke 22, it says in Mark 14. In fact, let me read it to you real quick in Mark 14. I realize we're running long on time, but I want to read this to you in Mark 14. Jesus says this. In verse 34, he says to his disciples, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. He went a little bit beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Wow. Do you realize what Jesus asked? What he said to God, well, the first thing he said was opposite of the will of God. Shocking. Was it God's will that this hour would pass? Was it, you know, because Isaiah says it was God's will that he be crushed for us. Was it God's will that Jesus just go, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> I can live till I'm 95. No. But the first thing that Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to ask you this. And we probably assume he already knew the answer. But he says, um, he says, I pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Verse 36, he was saying, Abba, Father. The word Abba being the Hebrew affectionate term for dad. It's like saying daddy. Daddy, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Now here's the, here's the ringer. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you see here that Jesus had one will and the Father had another? But by the time this prayer was over, they were of the same will. You know, Jesus was still the Son of God. 
He wasn't just some bum off the street. He was the son of God. He never sinned. It was not a sin to pray this prayer. But when you're facing a disconnect in your heart and you don't feel like you agree with God, you feel like you're on a different side, you need to do what Jesus did. Bring it before the Lord. And most importantly, not my will, but yours be done. He got up, he set his face to the cross, and he never looked back. Guys, I'm telling you, if Jesus was double-minded about going to the cross, he would have quit before he got there. He had to have this prayer so that he could know and be sure of what he was going to do, and he wouldn't have two thoughts or two wills about it. By the time he left the garden, there was no talking him out of it. He was going to the cross. They tried to give him a way out. Pontius tried to give him a way out. Even Herod tried to help him out. But Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't speak. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't go that way. He was headed for the cross, and he wouldn't look back from that moment on. Guys, he did something none of us would ever be able to do. I mean, he did something beyond what we've ever, ever, ever had to do or ever will have to do. He bore the sins of the world. You can't do that unless you're fully convinced you're supposed to do that. You can't do that feeling one way and feeling another. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It says don't let that man think he'll receive anything from God. You can't go through life double-minded. You know, double-minded means that you have two thoughts. You think this way, you think that way. Maybe double-minded means for you, you talk to God this way, but this is how you really feel. What Jesus did was realizing he had his will and the Father had his will. He goes to God. He opens his heart before God. He's, it, the Hebrews says he did it with tears and loud crying. So it's okay to cry with God. It's okay to be loud with God. It's okay to be distraught as long as you're ready for him to say this is what you need to do. I don't think anybody needs to go. I mean, you know what? The, one of the worst things to do is to, to go to counseling and you don't, want, you don't want to receive any advice. You're just doing it to, to check the checkbox and say I went to counseling. Quite frankly, <laughs> it's no fun counseling somebody who does not want to be, who doesn't, doesn't, not going to do what you say, doesn't care what you say. Just wants to say, I went to counseling. Nobody likes that. It doesn't do you any good. When you go to the Lord and you tell them what you want to tell them and you walk out of there saying, I'm still going to do what I want to do, then, I mean, that's not helping you. I want you to know, you can be free to go into the presence of God and lay it all out. Lay it all out before him. Be so, be so open, be as open as you need to be. Because he already sees you. You're already laid bare. Be as open as you need. And then say, and mean it, not my will, but yours be done. And here's what God's going to do. He's a loving father. If you'll let him, he'll take your will and he'll shape it into his will. And he'll begin to remove the tumors in your heart that have been plaguing you for so long. He'll remove the hurt that you've been hanging on to for so long. He'll remove the unforgiveness. He'll remove the fear. He'll remove the doubt. He'll remove the guilt. And when you leave, you say, I don't know. Maybe you still have to have a few sessions like that. When you leave, you're aligned with him. You're aligned with him. Your heart's aligned with him. Please, don't keep praying out of a sense of ritual or saying, this is what I know I should pray. You need to open your heart before God and let Him be who He is. He is the healer of broken hearts. He binds up their wounds. Oh, thank God He applies the oil where there needs to be an application of oil. He is the healer. He is the renewer. He's the restorer. Oh, if you don't feel like you've got it, if you feel like you used to have that fire, used to have that life, but you don't have it anymore, bring it to God and open up. We talked about not being fake, but all this goes back to not being fake with God, to really opening your heart to Him. Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
He said that apart from him, we could do nothing. We couldn't bear any fruit. We couldn't do anything. This is also what he said. My father is the vine dresser. He prunes so that you may bear fruit. Allowing God to be your vine dresser, allowing the father to be your vine dresser means that you let him into that heart and you let him cut out what needs to be cut out. You let him shape, you let him mold. And you walk out of there feeling whole again, knowing that you're whole, knowing that, you, that your will is lined up with his, knowing that you got that life again. And I want us all to have that life again. Where we get up in the morning burning for something. We wake up, we go to sleep thinking about it, we wake up thinking about it. That we are, ser- are seeking the kingdom is not out of mere ritual, but it's out of a desire for him. It's out of an, a, 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 a longing and a sense, a burning desire to say, we need you. I need you. And Lord, I, I know that you've called me. You've set me apart. You've forgiven me. You've made me clean. You've made me righteous. And now I am your child. Nothing's going to change that. I'm the child of the king. And so I come to you, Lord, tell me and show me who I need to be. And God, if I have a different idea, I'm going to tell you what my idea is. But I'm going to walk out of there saying, what's your will? Let him change it. You know, some of us know how to pray the perfect prayer. We know how to get what we need. We know, we know the right scriptures for the right problems, and we go in there like a, a drill sergeant into a, a room of young cadets, and we go and we, we bark it out at God, and we do, 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 go all through the right scriptures. Have you ever had a friend who is just way too into Starbucks? He's just way too into Like, their order is so complex that you're like, you need a life. It's got like 10 things to it. You know, I need sh- okay, uh, I need one shot of caramel, one shot of, um, uh, you know, a shot of caramel, a shot of white chocolate, two scoops of vanilla bean. On the side, I need this much ice, I need this much, much whipped cream, I need caramel underneath the whipped cream, and on top of the whipped cream, I want the espresso poured over top, apicotto style. I want all of this. And they know it, they know how to order it. Have you ever had... I mean, imagine this person going in. They know the right things to say. They've been there a million times. They say it. And imagine what would happen if the young Starbucks person behind the counter said, may I recommend something else? What's your, what's your name? Todd? Todd. How, how long have you been working here, Todd? Two years. Oh, okay. I've been going to Starbucks since there was only a Starbucks in Seattle. Since there was one in Pike's Market, I've been going that long. Todd, I know you've been working here for two years, and you got your, you got your nice outfit, you got your pen. You think you could tell me what to drink, but I know my order, and I know it well. Please just be quiet and get me my drink. Well, so often we're that customer when we go to God. We know our order really well. We know all the right things to ask for. And he says, wait a second. I got a better idea. Whoa, you got a better idea. I got the wor- I got the scriptures for you here. I know, I mean, and sometimes you just need to listen. Just listen. Maybe he'll change the order. It'll be just as good to be better. Thank God. Thank God for the word. Thank God for his spirit. Hey, guys, you need to be asking. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. The scripture is full of prayers that ask. Those prayers should always be followed by thanksgiving. But don't hang up the phone when you get your order in. There needs to be time in the presence of God. Time to soak, a time to heal, a time to open up your heart before Him, and a time to let Him speak. Don't just go to God for your order. Go to God and let Him change you. Let Him shape you. Spend time with Him that you know his thoughts, you know his will, you know his ways. Scripture says, show me your ways that I may walk with you. You can't walk with him if you don't know his ways. You can't know his ways if all you're ever doing is tell him what you need. That's important. But leave room, and lots of it, for heart surgery. If you need it every day, if every day you go to God and you lay it out before Him, you lay all the things that you've been dealing with, all the fears, all the stuff that you've been dealing with, you lay it out and you say, here, 
deal with this. I cast it onto you. And you stay there and let him shape you. Open up your Bible and let him show you in his word what he's already done for you. If you need to do that, do it. Feel alive again. Be alive again. Amen. I love you so much. But as much as I love you, Jesus loves you more. He loves you more. We have a high priest. We have a high priest who represents us, who daily makes intercession for us, who knows us, who loves us, who died for us, who is without sin. And the Bible says for every trial, every temptation, He has provided a way of escape.